Here we go. It's Monday night, and football is back on the menu, boys. We are going to have a great show. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and Ira... On the phone once again. You've been really, really busy these past couple of uh, weeks and days. So tell us uh, what you've been up to. Well, I've been to like almost, as someone said, I think you have seen more tennis than John McEnroe because I was at the U.S. <laughs> Open. And when you go to the U.S. Open for those night sessions, they don't enter 2.30. Tell me other, what other sports are you there till 2.30, like three nights in a row watching tennis and coming back. So I just, I'm addicted to the U.S. Open. I mean, if they didn't end the U.S. Open right now, I think I'd just be, you'd have to like put me somewhere in a straitjacket because I just love going there. I love being at it. It was a great this year. The story lines are amazing. I love tennis. Mike, I got you in the tennis. You were texting me back and forth, and you're not the only one. A lot of my other friends that I said, they didn't like tennis. They were even watching tennis. No, you're, you're absolutely right. You got me hooked on it, especially being so cool that we had, you know, an American we've had on this show multiple times advancing so far. We've got young up-and-comers that, you know, eventually went on to win it. It, it, it had the storylines, and it really was captivating because it was the only thing going on up until yesterday, pretty much. So, I want to thank you, you know, for getting me to to tune in. And we'll talk plenty about tennis coming up here on Ira on Sports. We're also going to bring in Bobby Pennington. We've had him on before. Tell us about Bobby. He's the won almost 300 victories, men's and women's tennis at Colgate. Just bringing him in to talk about Serena, TFO, somebody that, just a, a recap of the USO. So let's get started. And we'll talk football first. And, and I'm going to reference some stuff that Dr. Roto said, because I think we did a great interview with Dr. Roto, the fantasy pro, last week. One of the things we asked him was, how do you kind of gauge wide receivers in new places? You've never seen them in the system with that coach, with that quarterback. And Ira, pretty much every single free agent or trade move for receivers worked out swimmingly in week one. For the wide receivers, yes. And some, and I think for, for most of the teams, if you look at Devontae Adams, when he left for the Raiders, he had a great game. Uh, A.J. Brown for the Philadelphia Eagles had tremendous game leaving the Tennessee Titans. And, of course, Tyreek Hill for the Dolphins had a great game. I just cannot believe how all three of them had great games. And the teams that they left were hurt except for the Chiefs. The Chiefs were the one team that, that, uh, that really looked like they you know, did not miss a beat with losing their star-wide receiver. But the Packers looked terrible. Uh, Tennessee looked like they were a mess. So I thought it was pretty interesting in the, that these wide receivers – played so well. So let's uh, start off with Thursday night, the game that kicked off the season, your Super Bowl uh, champion Rams taking on the team that most people think will be in the Super Bowl, the Buffalo Bills. And Ira, it looked to me like only one team really knew the season started. Buffalo, just kind of from the first drive, was in control of that game, never took their foot off the gas. I think it's the first time since 1999 that both Super Bowl teams lost. I think you saw two teams in Buffalo, which lost to Kansas City, and then Kansas City lost to Cincinnati, that had to play with a chip on their shoulder. I mean, Buffalo, they they felt like they should be the Super Bowl champions. They should be putting, they came there, and they're putting the, the flag up and the banners up and everything and getting the rings. But the Rams were like, Buffalo's saying, that should have been us. And Josh Allen, I mean, 26 for 31, three touchdowns, only threw two interceptions. But, you know, Diggs had a great game. This Gabriel Davis, you know, they he's came on out of my fantasy. I said, wow, I think they're, they're gonna. I think he's gonna be a star on this team. He had a monster game. 
I mean, they were 9 out of 10 on third down. They, they lost their punter because of, they had to cut their punter because of the domestic violence concerns. Uh, the guy who was considered punt god from San Diego State. But they, don't, they didn't punt the entire game. <laughs> they don't really need much of him. They take Von Miller from the Rams, put them on the Bills defense, has two of the team's seven sacks, the most sacks ever given up by a Sean McVay team. It just, it, you can't even write the script if you're the Bills to go to L.A. and to win like that. No, a- absolutely. And, yeah, the addition of Von Miller, that – the front seven was good anyway. You add a Von Miller to it, and this team, they're really dangerous, Ira. And, I mean, at this point, I know that the Rams don't play their starters in the preseason, which I think is kind of foolish, but you have to kind of be worried if you're Sean McVay and the Rams. This is another team. The NFC is not nearly as good as the AFC. We were thinking that we're basically going to see a repeat of the Rams in the Super Bowl, and after that game, I can pretty much say I don't think that's going to happen. Well, I would say it's not going to happen, but they definitely have a lot of work to do, and Stafford... I mean, I was at the Open, so I just saw highlights of the game. I mean, the question, Cup had a big game, but you, Stafford has this injured elbow. He's saying his elbow is bothering him. But not having the strong offensive line, look, if he's, he's older, <laughs> he's going to get pounded. I mean, he's going to feel like he's back at Detroit. You know, if he's going to get sacked seven times in a game, uh, it's one thing for Joe Burr to get sacked seven times a game in his early 20s. Uh, if you're in your late 30s, you don't want to be getting sacked uh, seven times in a game. Uh, yeah, I don't want to be sacked ever. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your Pittsburgh Steelers. And everyone kind of rolled into this game, I think, the national media and just fans across the country. Like, well, Joe Burrow's awesome. Cincinnati, you know, was in the Super Bowl last year. They should crush Pittsburgh with Mitch Trubisky. And I didn't believe that narrative. And I think if you went with the team that plays, you know, typically great defense with the better coach, they're going to win a lot of games. And I was pr- happy to see your Pittsburgh Steelers. What a crazy game. I mean, I was, again, I'm at the Open. I'm listening. I could, they somehow put a fence that I, I got to the Open early so we could watch the games because the, the men's finals are to four. So I was there at one. I'm all set. My phone's out. I have the direct TV ticket. I have all the things to watch. I know how I'm doing. But they put a, this, glow, this fence around that and they said, you're in a stadium. You're blocked out from watching games. I'm like, no, you can't do that. And so I had, like, we put, like, one game on the Emirates Sports Bar. That was the Lions game, the Lions-Eagles. And so I had to listen to the game on the radio. But I listened to the Pittsburgh announcers during the game. And then it, went, it bled into the men's final. It's because the game was over to 445. So I'm in the stands. I'm trying to get, I have a seat at the top of the stadium, so I was trying to find a different seat to sit in. I'm listen, trying to get pictures, trying to listen to the game at the same time. Talk about multitasking. And uh, what an exciting game. And back and forth, uh, it just seemed like, listening to the Steeler announcers, they were like, they were arguing, like, Bill Hogrove was famous for his announcer, but they were confused. I mean, did Chase score a touchdown? Did he not score the touchdown? Uh, who missed the extra point? It was a kick. I mean, how many, and I had McPherson, my fantasy team, the fact that they scored, finally scored a touchdown after how many times, like 10 times you throw the ball in the end zone, they finally scored, the Bengals scored at the end of the game, go up 21-20 to kick an extra point, even the best kicker in football, and McPherson misses, gets the, get, Vicka Fitzpatrick blocks the extra point, considering the Minkus started the game with a pick-six interception. Uh, T.J. Watt was all over the field the entire game, making play after play. Uh, I said you can't win at the series of defense with just three defenders. Well, they, they proved it with Hayward, Fitzpatrick, <laughs> and Watt, so I was wrong, wrong on that situation. But, and then it goes into overtime, Steelers punch, and the Bengals, a 29-yard field goal, McPherson, I mean, he's like 50 for 50, you know, last year, he did, he's making 60-yard field goals, he misses a 29-yard field goal, the Steelers miss another field goal, the Bengals 
punt the ball with 15 seconds. I mean, can you believe this? This is like, like high school football. You're, you're, you're going to punt the ball, the, you know, the clock, you, you, you know, let the clock go down, but you punted leaving the Steelers with 55 seconds, not like 38 seconds, give themselves time to move down, and then they kick a field goal to win the game, which is just amazing. A, a, a great win for the Steelers. Uh, they lose T.J. Watt with an injury, torn pec, was trying to determine if it's season-ending or not. Najee Harris got hurt in the game, but what a crazy game. It, it, it was one of the first crazy finishes that we were going to see uh, yesterday. Just truly, I know you were busy at tennis, but man, if you were watching like Red Zone Channel, it was intense there for about 25 minutes as all these games closed. Uh, one game, Ira, that wasn't very intense... Miami Dolphins, this team came out, they put the pressure on on Bill Belichick, they put the pressure on Mac Jones and everyone on the on the Patriots from the opening kickoff. The offense still leaves a little bit to be desired. We're still kind of figuring things out, but man, that defense looked good. you got to be happy today if you're a Dolphins fan. Uh, I mean, Javon Holland, interception on pass Devontae Parker, which is not a surprise if anyone watched Parker, <laughs> but Brandon Jones' strip sack. It's like... It's amazing how this Dolphin defense creates turnovers. And they not just create turnovers, they score touchdowns on the turnovers. They put the team in the position. And Jalen Waddle had that 44-yard touchdown pass. I mean, they're up 17 nothing at halftime. Uh, in Tyreek Hill, eight catches, 94 yards. It was just one of those things where Tua looked great. And, and if you're a New England Patriots fan, you're scared. I mean, they came here on Tuesday. They came to Miami on Tuesday to get ready for the heat. It didn't really work. And New England looked awful. They just looked like they – you just – you wonder, like, if I'm saying, name me who their running backs are, who's their wide receivers. Matt Jones is not they're, – they're not going to make the playoffs. Like, the, I mean, this AFC, they're one of the worst – I mean, I'm, I know we're talking about Bill Belichick, but New England right now is not a power. And Miami don't look good. Miami looks like a team. They're not going to beat Buffalo, but they are definitely – looks like a wild card team. And, and Ira, you got to think about it like this, too. All these teams were jockeying for these big receivers in the offseason. Your, your division rival got picked up Tyree Kill – and they had a Devontae Parker. Matt Jones, like you said, he's got no weapons. And it's, to me, they should have free agent money. I know they had a massive free agent haul two years ago, but you're still paying a quarterback on a rookie deal. Why would they not go out and get a big skill player like they did Randy Moss 20 years ago, which led them to the promised land? I just thought that was weird. No, it's uh, the New England looks like they're they're having trouble. And again, I just Jacoby Myers led them in receiving. It's just unbelievable. They have no weapons. I don't know how they win games. I mean, they play the Steelers next week. I just don't see it happening. I mean, even the Steelers will be no. Yeah, I don't see it happening either. Seven thirteen. Ira on Sports True Oldies channel. Don't forget, you can follow Ira all across social media. The Instagram followers are going through the roof. Follow him at Ira on Sports. So Ira, I'm looking at the lines on Sunday morning. And Arizona's getting almost a touchdown in their house with facing Kansas City. And I'm looking at it like, wait a minute, this is the same line as San Francisco in Chicago? Like, how are these the same points? I thought this game was going to be pretty close. Arizona starts off seasons really well and fades from there. Man, I was wrong. <laughs> like you said, Casey not missing a beat without Tyreek. Got to give KC credit. I mean, this is a team. they lost, that, I was there in Cincinnati, you know, in Kansas City when they lost Cincinnati in the NFC, AFC championship game and uh patrick mahomes looked like he was lost that second half you know he, he and i think he just got the criticism i mean some some people get criticism and they're like whatever he just uh, channeled that and you saw in the preseason he played what every game i mean he was in one game he played three quarters i mean this he's like okay you're gonna lose tyreek hill and, and it just seemed like he wasn't running around i watched the game on on one of the nfl network again i mean he was 30 for 39 360 yards five touchdowns zero interceptions, zero sacks. 
perfect game. I mean, uh, Kelsey catched the ball, Juju Smith-Schuster, but he said, look, I'm going to throw the ball around. As you mean, a lot of people get in the ball, and that's true. And they're up 23-7 to seven and a half, 37-7 to seven at the end of three. Uh, this is, if you're the, if you're Arizona Cardinal fans, you're nervous. I mean, Kyler Murray played terrible. Uh, the, the Cardinals were blown out. I mean, this is a team that started out last year what, winning the first eight games, and then they lost six out of the last seven, but Kansas City looks like a force. I mean, and how about the one stat I could not get over? They ran 66 plays, 33 first downs. On that's incredible. <laughs> that is just, it's like a high school team. I mean, that's like, you know, a high school quad A playing a It's like playing video games. In a game. uh, just a, a big win for Casey. Casey's putting their stamps in. We're the favorite for the Super Bowl, right? That in there. And, and it made sense that they didn't want to pay Tyreek Hill. I get it in this case. And if you're one of those people who invested an early round draft pick in Travis Kelsey, you're pretty happy with the returns already, and that should stay uh, for much of the season. So the Giants, not much expectations for this team. Tennessee's the reigning number one seed from the AFC. And what happened? New York Giants went into their house. They had some, they showed some moxie, showed some cojones, went for two to take the lead instead of just taking the tie. Brian Dable gets a big, big first win in his first game as a head coach. Well, I mean, Judge, they, when they fired Judge, people were like, you know, Judge, they were like, is that, you know, should they give him some more time? You know, is there a couple of years? They, then they got the whole issue with the Brian Flores lawsuit. Should they hire Brian Flores? And Brian Dable came, comes down from Buffalo and First of all, I mean, he, you can see after the game, the dancing around, the this, the enthusiasm on the sideline. I mean, Judge didn't have any emotion on the sideline. No. Dable is all over the place. It's Dan Campbell of the Lions excitement. And I think Daniel Jones needs that. I mean, Daniel Jones didn't have even 17 for 2,180 yards, which is great. They only missed four. He had an interception. But once he got the interception, Dable's talking to him. I mean, I really think that's a team that I mean, he seems to be right for this team. And really, when you have Saquon Barkley, who came back, you just stay healthy. It, it, you know, this is the old Saquon Barkley. They have 10 states, Saquon Barkley. 18 carries, 164 yards, six catches for 30 yards. And then to run, you know, a two-point conversion, to go for the two points, you know, instead of going into a shuffle pass for him, instead of kicking the, the extra point to die. Uh, you know, I don't, it's not really the smartest move in the game, but I think for a team that you're trying to get excitement for and, and, and show what they're going for, I think it was the right move for the Giants. You don't do that, I think, if you're battling for a playoff spot at the end of the year. But at the first game of the season, to get some excitement, and he did, totally right. Just a great, great performance by Dable and the Giants. No, it, it was. And like you said, it, it was something when you're a team like the Giants, you could go for it there. If, it, yeah, if it's a playoff spot, kick the field goal, take the tie, not this one. So, Ira, a lot of people are getting knocked out of suicide pools. There was some crazy finishes. We had a tie in a game that was supposed to be a seven-point spread. But one of the consistencies you can have if you do a suicide pool is just take whoever's playing the Jets. <laughs> this franchise, I know Zach Wilson's not there. But you got to be looking at that game at Baltimore and just like, man, this could be another season for the Jets. That's a long and unfortunate one. Well, you and I both were in so many fantasy leagues. And I swear that we're sitting there in draft at all these Jets, the Michael Carters, the Brees Halls, uh, uh, Elijah Moore, I mean, uh, uh, Garrett Wilson, all these players were getting drafted. And I'm like thinking, you're drafting players high who play for the Jets who don't produce any fantasy players ever. And, you know, they're down 24-3. I mean, just think that Joe Flacco scored – Passed the ball 59 times, the most passes thrown in 11 years, and the Jets still only scored nine points. <laughs> and it was just terrible. And Robert Sala, their coach, goes, I know people cruise the Jets. I'm taking receipts right now. Well, he reminds me of like that accountant that has all those receipts piled up when someone plays <laughs> it. I mean, they're taking receipts. Receipts on what? You lose the ball or play terrible, and you still could beat them. And it wasn't even close. It was 24 to 3. It was one of the worst games of the whole afternoon. And if you're a Jet, 
this is what's going to hurt the Jets, though. The Giants last year at least were bad. Now you're going to be bad, and the Giants are going to be maybe better with more excitement. It's going to be more. Jet fans are getting more upset about the team. Yeah, and so Robert Sala is going to be able to wallpaper his apartment with those receipts once the season comes <laughs> to an end. Can I ask you a question, though, Eric? Why is Mike White not starting for the Jets? Why would you trot out Joe Flacco instead of a young guy? He was a rookie last year, looked pretty good in the limited games he got. Why are you starting Joe Flacco here? I don't get it. Uh, it's like I think Salah just feels like he's trust Flacco. Uh, felt like, but I, I agree. I think it's a mess, and I think you would think someone you need excitement. I think Dable and Salah. I mean, Salah looked like he had that excitement and enthusiasm and everything. And but it's just like I think this this Jet season looks like it's going to snowball bad. And, and and going into it, their defense looked very very good. Now they did hold the Ravens in terms of like a seventy yards rushing. But just on offensively, the turnovers, the mistakes, everything, uh, we don't even know if Zach Wilson is healthy if they're going to be good. I mean, it just... They're, they are going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. 719, this is Ira on Sports, True channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Bobby Pennington joins us at 735, going to get us all caught up on what we just witnessed at the U.S. Open. So, Ira, one of the teams coming into this year with a lot of hype had to be Jacksonville, maybe because it's Trevor Lawrence's second year. They've got a new coach, a Super Bowl winning coach in Doug Peterson. They were a dumpster fire last year. And I don't know if I saw anything from Trevor Lawrence yesterday that made me change my mind on what I saw of him last year. Didn't do anything phenomenal. Made some mistakes. I'm not sold on this, this Jacksonville bounce-back season. I don't think people expect them to make the playoffs, but they expected them to win seven, eight, not, maybe nine games. I don't see this at all. I don't I think you're a little more negative. I mean, they were up. I am. <laughs> they took, when they went through the interception, they went up 22-14. And then Washington, Carson Wentz went and scored, drove the team down for two more touchdowns. Lawrence scored an interception at the end. I wouldn't say it's so bad. I think Carson Wentz, though, Gave the uh, commanders, as they call themselves now, it was you know four touchdowns passing, but the two interceptions. So anybody who's a Colts fan knows it's the up and down of the game. And, and uh, but I'll tell you from Jacksonville's perspective, I, uh, Christian Kirk had a good game as wide receiver. Uh, Trayvon Walker, the number one draft pick, one sack, he had an interception. Looked like he's a star. So there's good things about this game. I think it was a tough loss in terms of how Washington played. But, I mean, Jaguars have lost on the road now for 18 straight times. But uh, I, I would say that it's not, look, Urban Meyer's not there. Urban Meyer's broadcasting for Fox right now. Uh, I, I'm not as negative on, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm sort of, I wasn't as positive as, as Jacksonville uh, people were thinking that they were going to be so great, but I wasn't as negative. So I think it's sort of what happens. It's a tough game. They play competitively. Uh, look, you know, look, I'm thinking I hope good things will happen during the year. So a lot of people thought I was crazy, Ira, when I told them going into the season that I think that the Minnesota Vikings can win the NFC North. I think that they beat the Packers in week one. We had Dr. Roto on, as I said last week, and he was talking about how he loves Kirk Cousins in a new offensive system that's not running a prehistoric offense of Mike Zimmer, as he called it. And, man, they looked good. And, and if you're Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, you got to be looking inside like, this is not a good scenario right now. That offense looks pretty anemic. Well, I was at Fantasy Draft, and you have to do an auction and I, to get the first pick. And the first pick, then you announce your pick. And I said, I want Justin Jefferson. I want him number one. I felt like Kevin O'Connell came for the Rams. I mean, he made Cooper Cup into the best wide receiver we've ever seen. Justin Jefferson is way more talented than Cooper Cup. He's faster, stronger, jumps higher, all those things you want to say. And Justin Jefferson was running around, and he was like, joking. He's like, I, like now I see why Cooper Cup had such a great year because no one's even around me. And, and, <laughs> and Jefferson was at 3,000 yards his first two years in the league, the most ever, more than Jerry Rice, more than anyone, more than Randy Moss, 3,000 yards. I mean, I'm waiting for this humongous year. Nine catches, 184 yards, two touchdowns. 
And Green Bay, look, without uh, Devontae Adams, they really were struggling. The, uh, Christian Watson, who both of you and I have in our fantasy league, dropped a, a, a beautiful pass for a touchdown. Uh, and it's like one of those situations where, I mean, people think that Green Bay was just going to buy their defense. Uh, it's not going to work. I mean, they, they looked bad. But, again, last year they lost to the Saints the first game. They rebounded. But uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers had a bad game. I mean, zero touchdowns. How about this? Zero touchdowns. One interception and four sacks and didn't even throw for 200 yards. Those are not Aaron Rodgers' numbers. And uh, those are playoff Aaron Rodgers' numbers. Not <laughs> That's Aaron Rodgers versus San Francisco in the playoffs numbers. Um, let's talk about San Francisco. Another popular, this is a suicide pick that might have knocked out a quarter of your pool as you had a team that's hoping to reach the Super Bowl, hope to reach the NFC Championship. Trey Lance is the, the next coming for, for San Francisco. Granted, that was some of the, that was terrible weather, and I know you probably didn't see it, but there were portions of that game, Ira, where the camera was covered in water. You couldn't see the game, literally, through the camera lens. That's how bad it was there, but hey, congratulations to Chicago. That's a big win to start your season. Well, they were down 10 nothing in the game, and Justin Fields made one of those run-around, run-around, run-around. Oh, Pettis throws it for a touchdown. Francisco punts. The Bears scored another touchdown and uh, won a 19-10. I mean, one had 19 straight points. Justin Fields did not have a, a good game passing or anything, but it was for Matt Aberflus, their new coach. Talk about a new coach coming in. Play great. I mean, I, I, I like Chicago in this game. I'm thinking Trey Lance, you have this technically a rookie quarterback who hasn't really much starts going on the road in bad weather, now, Chicago's going to have a dome that in like four or five years. They're going to have this brand new zillion dollar stadium. But, uh, I, I just, I felt like this, they're asking a lot to lose the running back, Elijah Mitchell, to an injury. Uh, I just, I thought this was, uh, this was what, I wasn't surprised by this. I think he, you know, Trey Lance is going to have these problems and, and there will be, look, if he, if they start out 0 and 3, 0 and 4, then there's going to be talk of Jimmy Gucci taking over this position again because Trey Lance really didn't do anything special with that in the whole second half. And uh, San Francisco running backs continue. To just be cursed. I mean, Elijah Mitchell now, uh, they're saying, going to miss eight weeks. They'll find a replacement, whether it's Jeff Wilson, something like that. But, you know, already starting behind the eight ball as they always seem to drop receivers early in the season. So we'll talk about the Cowboys a little bit later, but it looks like they're going to be without Dak Prescott for an extended amount of time. What does this do for Philly, Ira? It opens up the gates for it, for Philly to cruise to an NFC championship. They're the most talented roster anyway. Jalen Hurts might be the most talented quarterback in the division. And this was a game where they had a massive lead over Detroit, who's, you know, a perpetual bottom dweller. And they let Detroit come back in this game. I'm not saying that I don't, you know, don't think Philly's going to win the division, but I think you're a little concerned. And you got to also give props to Dan Campbell. His teams never quit. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched this whole game on TV. This is the one game I could, could, could watch. And I'm not sold on Jalen Hurts at all, but A.J. Brown really helped him out. And, and A.J. Brown was tired of playing in Tennessee for Ryan Tannehill, and he comes over. Now he's in, he gets injury prone himself, so we'll see what happens. But, again, I was shocked that Devontae Smith didn't play as well for, for the Eagles. But, wow, I mean, they scored 24 points in the second quarter. I mean, that's that's like, again, high school football. You don't score 24 points in a quarter in the NFL. Tremendous performance by the, by the Eagles and the Lions for coming back. I like the Lions this year. I think the Lions are going to win some games. Uh, they, I, I know Jared Goff's a quarterback, but they, they play hard and they fought back in that game. But the Eagles, you're right. That division is theirs. It's really with the Giants and Washington and Dallas. It's hard to see how Philadelphia can't win this division. So, one of the you know two big homecomings we were going to see uh, th- this season, and one of them's tonight. We'll talk more about that later. But the other one was Baker Mayfield got cast away by Cleveland, and then what has happens week one? NFL scheduling quirky like that. He's going to play Cleveland, and 
Ira didn't didn't look good. I, I mean, uh, no, I don't think anybody expected Baker Mayfield to make Carolina some kind of contender, but that was just a poor game from them. And Cleveland gets a win with Jacoby Brissett under center. Yeah, I don't. It, I was shocked. This is the, I. You know, I'm going to pick where I picked like 15 games last week yesterday. I was 10 and five with the spread. My best one of my best weeks I've done. I, I was shocked. I mean, they were down 20 to seven. Actually, should have won the game. Uh, the Cleveland with Jacoby Brissett went to spike the ball, and he actually backed up and spiked it. it should have been intentional grounding. It, it was stupid how they, they called it. it. Was the refs made a total mistake on that call? But Carolina kicked a field goal, uh, 50k York, 58 yard field goal with eight seconds left to win the game. Uh, I feel bad. I, I look, Matt Rule. If this continues, Matt Rule might get fired in the middle of the year. Like, there's no way Carolina is gonna they're they're gonna you know have this. I, this is a win they had to have over Jacoby Brissett in Cleveland. And if you're a Cleveland uh, fan, you're like, oh, you know, with Deshaun Watson, any win without Deshaun Watson, I mean, this is what they're counting on. So this was like a you know, this is great. I mean, if they could just go 500 without Deshaun Watson, they'll be they'll still you know maybe have a chance for the playoffs. So that was a big win for them. But disappointed with how Baker played, but hopefully he has a bounce back week next week. So Ira, like I said, I I always look at the, the the, the spreads before the game. I look at the over-unders. And one of the games I was looking at, that like, oh, this game is going to blow the over out of the water. They're going to score 70 points combined was Las Vegas and the Chargers. We didn't really see that. Devontae Adams, fantastic. But Derek Carr looked uncharacteristically rusty. And I got to say, I'm not worried about Derek Carr, but that was not a great performance from the Raiders. I know they're playing a very good team in the Chargers, but still, I, I think he needed to get a little more there. As someone, you know, they've changed coaches. Josh McDaniels is a coach, but it seems like Carr does this a lot. He starts out slow. I mean, 17 3 at the half. He had three interceptions, five sacks. Weird game. Just a weird game for the Raiders. I mean, the Chargers are really, really good, and they have an improved defense. So, and, and Justin Herbert is. You know, awesome, tremendous, makes great throws, and you know, in one of those elite categories, and people like the Chargers to go to the Super Bowl. But still, uh, I, I expect a little more out of the Raiders. But that division, I mean, with Denver, the Chargers, Kansas City, even the Raiders, it's, a, it's just an amazing division, and they're all all going to be good. But no, it was a, a tough loss for the Raiders. The first week did not look good. So, talking about looking good. Um, the AFC is stacked, and you're going to have teams that are the, the final seed in the AFC that could probably beat any team in the NFC. NFC is looking as wide open as ever, and it, I, how can you say that Tom Brady and the Bucks are not going to go back to the NFC Championship game or maybe represent them in the Super Bowl? They looked good. Dallas did not look good, and as mentioned earlier, they're going to be without Dak Prescott for maybe two months. Yeah, I mean, Buccaneers, they looked horrendous. I mean, Brady, that was two weeks he took off to wherever he was at, really, you know, set them back. I mean, I mean sort of uh, of miss of, of taking too many field goals to scoring touchdowns, total domination. Uh, Tampa Bay's defense looked tremendous. I mean, it looks like back to the Super Bowl level. And if they had that ability, if they had that play last year, they'd have won the Super Bowl because they wouldn't let the Rams go and score a touchdown at the end when they did. But, uh just I, I, you know, there's so much about this Tampa team that I like. I mean, Brady looks more relaxed without Arians there. Uh, him and Leftwich uh, get have a the offense coordinator seem to have like you know Brady. Brady's making the calls. Todd Bowles can focus on the defense. Uh, Leonard Fournette runs the ball well. It just seems like Godwin came back, got hurt a little bit, but it seems like I, I, I love this Tampa team. I mean, they went into Dallas. Remember last year's game was crazy. It just seemed like they had this game under control, and Dallas looked terrible. Uh, just a I just Tampa looks like this is their their league. <laughs> I don't see anyone challenging. They'll be in the Super Bowl in Arizona in February. I, I would have to agree with you wholeheartedly there, especially after what happened with the Rams uh, in the kickoff game. So, 
Tonight, the other homecoming, the much more anticipated homecoming than Baker Mayfield, is Russell Wilson. First game going back into Seattle where he did everything he could to get away from Pete Carroll. What do you think happens tonight? The line is I've seen anywhere from five and a half to six and a half. Shocked by the line. I, I mean, I, I can't see this game being close. Seattle's terrible. I mean, they are just. Geno Smith is their is their quarterback. Uh, I, I don't. I don't even. I don't understand this game at all. I think it's going to be a total blowout. I. I just think Denver. I think Russell Wilson. First of all, he can handle this. Like you're talking about players. Like I think Baker was just so wound up playing the Browns. Russell Wilson is. He can handle this situation. He can. He's been in big games, won Super Bowls, those type of things. I just, I just can't see how Seattle's. They're going to lose by three touchdowns. I mean, it's great. It's a nice little storyline, but, but uh, you know, it's not like he's playing Seattle. I mean, it's, it's, this team's terrible. They're one of the worst teams in the league. Denver could go to the Super Bowl. I, I don't. I don't. I can't believe the line's only five. It's one of those things, Ira. Even you know, through the Jets' futility and teams like this, they're trying to win. I think Seattle's the first team I can ever remember that's they're not trying to win. They don't want to win. They want the first overall pick, you know, get a, a fresh start with a new quarterback. Yeah, I I think this line should be like nine. And I, I think it's crazy that it's as low as it is with Russell Wilson versus Geno Smith on Monday Night Football. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Don't forget, all across social media, at Ira on Sports. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes here until we bring in Bobby Pennington, but... You've been at the U.S. Open more than you've been in your bed for the past <laughs> two weeks now. Let's go back to Monday because we were looking at this like, man, if 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 Francis Tifo, who ha- we've had on this show before, can beat Nadal, he's going to make a serious run. But you got to beat Rafael Nadal first, and sure enough, that happened. What? It, what first of all, I spent it was the one match I spent a lot of money for and got a ticket right down low. It was awesome to be there. I mean, Ben Stiller is three three rows in front of me. It's sitting in the doll box. I'm sitting right. So when doll would look up, he would like look right into me. That's why the pictures are so great. He was so cool to be there, and. It was just one of those things where, where you know, Nadal, uh, the, the first set, uh, you know, he, the TFO wins the first set, but Nadal has lost the first set. But then TFO double falls to the second and loses it 4-6. And then you're in the, in the third set, and uh, then, then the, the TFO takes that, and it, was, it's, it takes that. So he's up two sets to one, but, you know, you're not, it's, it's still not so bad. And, uh, but then, it, but in the third, in the fourth set, okay, now Nadal is going to take TFO. He's going to be more strong. They closed the room in the middle of the TFO serve, which they never used to. They just sit and rest. But now TFO is trying to serve. They're closing the room. It's making all this noise. He's distracted. He double folds the game away. The doll breaks. He's up 3-1. So look, the doll's going to win the fourth set. The doll's going to win the fifth. And TFO is going to get a pat on the back because TFO's record in five sets is like 5-11. and 11 And then, you know, great match or whatever. Suddenly... I, I still, to this day, don't know what I saw, but TFO won five straight games. Against Rafa <laughs> Nadal, after playing three hours of tennis, I don't know what I saw. I cannot believe that Nadal just collapsed. It's almost like something had to happen. How does TFO take this? And i got to give TFO credit, though. He played great. But Nadal, I'm waiting for him to raise the level of his game, realizing that TFO was, I mean, he was up 3-1 in the fourth, not against Djokovic or, or Federer, but against TFO. Uh, terrible performance by Nadal, but great from TFO to win that. And then, you know, I'm there. That's a whole Monday night. And then we, I went on the air. We went and did that thing. I'm in the Benjamin Steakhouse. I was in the restroom calling in to give a report. I come back out and see Carlos Alcaraz play Stilic. Now, Stilic is 32 years old. He won the title years ago, and uh, so he's won a championship, and it went five sets, 2.30 in the morning. Alcaraz finally beat Stilic, so pretty exciting day. And I got to see Jessica Pagula win her uh, match, fourth-round match, and also Danielle Collins lost to Sabalenka. So at, at that level, 
starting on Tuesday, you would just see the quarterfinals. So it was just like two matches during the day and two matches at night. Yeah, so your your life got back to a normalcy a little bit, only having watched two games a day. So let's talk about Tuesday. Yeah, on Tuesday, we saw Casper uh, Rude uh, beat Berrettini in three sets. Now, Rude, is, we're going to talk about Rude a little bit. Rude was lucky because he didn't have to play Medvedev, who was knocked out by Kyrgyz. He didn't have to play Kyrgyz because someone, Karen Krachov, knocked him off. I mean, that's the difference between golf and tennis. In tennis, you just get this draw, and he got a lucky draw. He played no top seeds, really, at all, until he fought Alcaraz in the final, because everyone kept beating the person that beat the person, and whatever. And then, uh, and then that night, oh, one of the best nights, Karen Krotchnov played Kyrgyz, and Kyrgyz came out with no energy. I mean, you're waiting for him to throw the rackets, this and that. First couple sets, he was doing nothing, and this, it was just insane. In the third set, he finally threw his racket, and then he was broken easy. I mean, there was that one racket. And then in the fourth set, you're waiting for it to over. He comes, he suddenly, I don't know what happened. He got this super energy, won the fourth set, seven, six. And then he got an early break in the fifth set. And just waiting for Curious to win this match. And I got to get the rallies were great. This ends at, you know, for two in the morning again, another two in the morning type match. Crazy situation. And it was, uh, and, and Karen Krasnoff. Uh, the 27th seed beat Kyrgyz. Uh, just a weird, and then Kyrgyz, after he lost, then decided to break like every single racket imaginable. Like he was taking <laughs> back to the stand and striking them. Uh, but it was, it was, uh, that was exciting, those two matches. And the, and the women's side, Ons Jabor from Tunisia beat uh, Alja, uh, the girl that, the woman that beat uh, Serena. And Coco Goff, that was a big match at the beginning of the night match. Uh, got destroyed by Caroline Garcia in the quarter six three six four. But I still think Coco had a good tournament. Just Garcia was just playing lights out that match. And then the other, then Wednesday was the other quarters. So that's where TFO beat Rublev. I mean, TFO in the tiebreakers is automatic. I mean, he just kept winning tiebreaker seven six seven six seven six. And then I had my fancy draft Wednesday night, so I couldn't go to the Alcaraz Center match. I said this is going to be great. Center twenty one year old Italian number eleven seed Alcaraz. 19-year-old Spanish, number three seed. It's going to be the best match. I don't go to the match. I have my fantasy draft. It's over at 10. They just started, like, the second set. I'm like, oh, this will match be over. It's going to take me an hour to get there. Well, they still played three more hours. It took me over to, like, three in the morning. I could have got in there and watched it. Uh, but uh, Alcaraz ended up getting matched point against them. That's what's so cool about tennis. You get match point against you, still win it, and then advance. Otherwise, you know, if you would have lost that point, sooner would have been playing, you know, in the, in the semifinals of the finals. Um, and then on Thursday, uh, the, the, uh, uh, and then on Thursday, what happens is you have the women's semifinals. So Owens DeBoer, uh, beat, uh, Caroline Garcia, 6-1, 6-3, and Swiatek, the number one seed, one and three sets. So that set up the finals between Jabor and Swiatek. And, uh, then Friday, Friday to me is, was great. I got to get, I got a ticket. I got an amazing ticket because the prices kept dropping on. And so I got to sit downstairs again at like right off the court for Casper Rude Kochnov because everyone would want to see Alcaraz TFO. So I sit down there to see Rude Kochnov. And, uh, that was, you know, Rude won easily in terms of fairly easily a match and, uh, the Alcaraz TFO match just, I mean, you can't, it was, Awesome. So Obama's there. Uh, Alcaraz saved uh, uh, three set points, but then he broke. He lost the first set 7-6. And then TFO, like the second and third sets, just, just stopped playing. I mean, it was like something happened to him. He lost 6-3, 6-1. And then in the fourth set, he was down 3-1. You know, it was like seemed like it was going to be over. And then TFO, and then, uh, TFO came back, fought really hard in the fourth set, and won that 7-6. 
fans are going nuts. Everyone's going crazy. And then in the third, in the, uh, and then in the fifth set, Alcaraz was able to outlast him in six three. But that was, you know, I, I like what TFO said after the match. She's like, you know, I'm going to win this tournament. I know I can win this tournament. I, I just love. I kept we've been talking about on Ira Sports for four years. There's got to be a great American, and TFO could be that person. He played great, and, and it was just it was a very exciting match against Alcaraz. That set up the finals then on Saturday night. I was going to say, even for someone like me, a very casual tennis fan, I was engaged. I'm sitting there on the couch with my buddies, and we're watching tennis for hours. It was uh, phenomenal. Obviously, we would have liked to see TFO take the lead, uh, take the win there. But regardless, great match, and it's good to see uh, such awesome young kids coming up through the tennis ranks. But yeah, let's talk about the uh, the finals. Yeah, and that's what's good, good about tennis. The, what, the one thing I noticed, you know, it's the one sport, and Patrick Macro, I was listening to on the radio, it's the one sport where you play in sets. So if you were, like, in a baseball game, and you're down 10 nothing in the first inning, the game's over. You can't win. But you could win a set, 6-0. You could, win a, you could be up 6-0, 5-0, and suddenly turn it around. The point is that it, it, it's, you only play by number of sets, and, it, and I think it gives that chance for a player to come back. And it seems like if you're down, you know, you can lose in the second quarter, you can always come back. So there's always a chance, and I think that's the mo- mo- momentum that comes in these games where TFO was, looked like, I mean, for most of the match, he was not the better player. But he was able to steal the first set, then lose the second and third, very easily getting smashed, come back in that fourth set after he seemed to be down, and then create a fifth set where he had a chance to win, which I love about. That's what I love about tennis. And, and tennis is like the UFC, but you don't have the blood and all those things. And, and it's a fun and one-on-one type sport. Saturday, women's final, uh, uh, Tech. Uh, number one seed beat Owens Jabor, and it wasn't even close. The first set was like 30 minutes long. It was unbelievable. I got there late and almost missed the whole first set. Uh, and uh, very, very exciting, you know, in terms of uh, Swiatek. She's now won two majors this year. She's by far the, you know, it's, it, number one player. Very funny. You know, she, they ask her, they go, well, you're, everyone was wearing, you know, Poland uh, you know, they were all talking, you know, they go, well, what, what are people talking about in Poland about you? She goes, I don't know. I'm going to come back there next week and I'll report back to you when I find out. Like, she's always fun. And Jabor was hilarious. Jabor was like, she goes, I love Iga. She's so nice, except I don't like her right now. So that you can see they get along. But that was that was the women's uh, semifinal. And then the men's final, Alcaraz versus Rude. I didn't think it was going to be close. I mean, Alcaraz won that first set 6-4. But then Rude, I mean, Rakaraz just, he did, he seemed finally, it was like this fourth set, like he's on three five-set matches, been on the court, and he's 19 years old, but he'd seen that second set, six, the loss at 6-2. And then the third set was key. In the third set, Rude was up 6-5. Alcaraz saved two set points, went back and forth. Alcaraz forced a tiebreaker. And I think Rude made a major mistake. Rude said, Rude just went right in to play the tiebreaker. He should have just, you know, he had just blown a chance to be up two sets to one. But instead, he goes and just starts to serve, and he lost his tiebreaker like 7-1. But he rushed into it. You, you know, you're given time. And he just, I, I, I couldn't believe how fast he rushed into it. And then that, you know, then he's going to lose the four set. So I think that's where, because then Alcaraz got this, you know, out, the thing with Alcaraz is he stays at every point. When you think you had the point when he makes you hit that yeah. extra shot, and you hit that extra shot, you're going to make a mistake, and that's what he did. And, she, you know, youngest winner of the U.S. Open, 19 years old, number one in the world, all those things. Uh, you know, someone said he's going to win 30 majors. Well, I don't know if he won 30, but certainly it's nice to win your first when you're 19. And, and you're right what you said about Alcaraz, and you, you saw it on display in the TFO match, because you would think the TFO had the point. 
And then Alcaraz would come out of nowhere and I think even surprise Tiafo. And he's not ready because he thinks that the point's already over. But one of the things that, you know, you've talked about it on the show for years. What is going on with the scheduling here, Ira? It, it, it finally hit me as someone who was really invested in this tournament. Did they take a page out of like the Gary Bettman School of Sports Marketing? Why would you put your, your, your final match on 4 o'clock on the opening day of football? It just makes no sense. The, I love tennis. I love it. And unfortunately, it's almost like, I would say, horse racing in terms of you don't watch it during the year. One of the problems is that if I want to go watch a tennis match, they play in San Diego next week, but they really don't play any matches in America until like until next spring. We go to Delray in February and, and Miami in March. So you can't watch it all the time. And then they play in Europe, and you have to get up at 9 o'clock in the morning on Sundays to watch Wimbledon finals. This is the chance to play it in prime time. And the perfect day is Tuesday. Tuesday makes sense. Monday, you're Monday football. We have tonight. We don't want to play it tonight. But they play the finals Friday. Let them wake another two days. Build it up. Advertise it time and time and time. You know, finals on Tuesday. Trust me, it'll be great. And then what is on Tuesday night? Nothing. There's the baseball playoffs. Are, I mean, everything's set in baseball. It's, it's the one time of year. There's no basketball. There's no hockey. It's in the fall. It would be so big. I have no idea why tennis is want to put it on 7 o'clock on Tuesday. I think it's a big mistake. They put it on 4 o'clock, and then I'm trying to watch this. I'm at the open. I'm, the football's on. It's ridiculous. I, it's, it's, you're right. It's Gary Batman. I don't know why they don't just push. This is the finals of the U.S. Open. It's not just any other tournament. This is the main U.S. This is the major. You, this is what you, you're going to, people are going to be watching. Their ratings be through the roof. Put it on Tuesday night. That's what I say. And, it, it doesn't matter. Wait two more days. Don't yeah, run promos in the NFL games showing, hey, Tuesday night, we've got sports for you. Makes perfect sense. If I, play it at 10 in the morning. Start it before everything else. It just it makes absolutely no sense that while literally the most games possible are going on between 4 and 4.30, and that's when you're playing your championship. So everybody who's in the NFL is all watching it. And I just think, as I said, Tuesday, on Tuesday, tomorrow night, I'm going to call you and say, what are you watching? I mean, there's nothing going to be on tomorrow night. Nothing. <laughs> I'll, I'll be watching the, the office refunds. It's, like, it's perfect time. And I and bring the people back. It's in New York. It's also the night matches are much more exciting. You see the night matches. Yeah. The fans are a little rowdy. Everything's more exciting. And you don't have to start the match late, like, you know, when they have to do the two matches. Start it at 7. It'll be over by 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at the latest. It's perfect to do it at Tuesday night. And you get people playing, interested in tennis, excited about tennis. You build it up for four days. I, they wait two weeks to do the Super Bowl, let alone wait two more days to play tennis. I, because we're not going to talk about tennis now forever, till January, till the Australian Open. So I just think tennis is missing a huge, you're right, the Gary Bettman School of Schedule. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go to Bobby Pennington here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, uh, 95.9, 106.9. We're fortunate to have Bobby Pennington. He is the coach of Colgate Tennis, one of the top coaches in tennis, of tennis boys and men and women in the country. Uh, 279 wins since 2006. So, Bobby, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. My pleasure, Ira. Great to talk to you again. So I am just, the last two weeks, I think I've watched more tennis than you in terms of I've been at the U.S. Open every day, and I just saw a great Open, and I guess I just want to jump right into it, is Serena Williams and her retirement uh, and what she means. You've been coaching for years. You're coaching uh, men's and women's tennis at college at Colgate. What has Serena Williams meant to your players? What, what do they think of her? I think all they all idolize her, male and female. I think, I mean, super inspirational what she's done. Um, and now as a mother and over 40 years old, I'm just incredible. I think, I mean, really, I mean, 
I was really impressed where she really had a rough stretch. I mean, she, I think she lost her opening round matches in her warm-up tournaments. I thought she looked incredibly good. I mean, she beat the number two player in the world in the, in the second round, which was a tough draw. And obviously right there in the third round, I think if she was a little more match tough and sharper, I think she, she could have kept going. And I think she, she said that in her post-match interview, I think when she lost, but I mean, it was an incredible, I, mean, I wish she would have kept going. Uh, it was electric. I wrote an article uh, that was published this weekend in a bunch of newspapers. I said that at 40 years old, you can see why with the passion she played, that that's why, you know, she won all these tournaments because she's out there with someone, people are 12, 13, 14 years younger than her competing. And just, she just, the joy and the love she has for tennis, which is great because I love tennis, you love tennis. And it's just great to see someone just love tennis so much. No, you could tell, you could tell it's super genuine. She's so competitive. And such a, just a, I think she would have been great in any sport. She's just a tremendous athlete. Um, and I'm, I'm even shocked that Venus is still going. I mean, no one ever talks about Venus, but, I mean, she's never really even mentioned when she's going to retire, but Venus is still playing. I mean, I think Serena's definitely, you could just tell in the open, a, a couple levels above, though. I mean, um, right as, as, as it stands right now, and she can beat anybody on a given day still. And then talking about an emerging superstar in terms of Coco Golf, only 18 years old. She made it to the round of 16 in this tournament. She seems to be knocking on the door. She was in the finals of the French. Uh, she just seems to playing doubles. She's the number one doubles player in the world. I got to see her doubles at the Open. Talk about the future with Coco Golf. Well, she's a tremendous talent. Obviously, got to a Grand Slam final this summer. I mean, I think she just kind of had a tight, tight match in the quarterfinals, but she was right. She's right there. I think she's. As soon as next year, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I can see her winning slams. I actually, uh, good story. I saw her. I was at recruiting in Delray Beach uh, National Clay Courts last summer, and it was a rain delay. And I saw her practicing, and she's just incredibly strong, talented, and athletic. I said it was, it was a nice up close look at her. Yeah, I mean, I saw her last year at the U.S. Open, and the difference between last year and this year, people don't realize how young she is, you know, is just amazing. She, and again, I saw her play doubles, and, and her doubles ability, and you know, she's great at the net, everything. It's, I, this, you know, the future is unlimited for her. Totally agree. I think she could be around a very long time. Seems like she comes from a really good family, too. Um, but both of her parents, I think, were athletes, and I think she could win some slams coming up. A few years ago, I had Francis TFO on my show uh, after he won the Delray tournament. And I was like, well, he's going to be the next superstar. And he had you know, ups and downs, but now this year, just the emergence of this tournament and the win over Nadal and to back it up but with a win after Karen Karachnov after that, it's just an amazing tournament for TFO. No question. He's electric. Um, you know, I think, you know, what I saw with him is he's super powerful, really athletic, but Big serve, big forehand, but now other shots are coming into play too. And I think, you know, I, I read a quote afterwards, you know, I, after he lost that heartbreaking five setter. Now I think he really actually believes now that he can win slams. I think he's the I think he's by far the best player in America right now. Um, I, I, you know, Taylor Fritz obviously is high up there, but I think TFO could really do big things. I know it was just you're waiting for the next great American and think how what what has is going to invigorate tennis in America if we could just get a male like you know we had, for years you had the Macro and the Connors and you had Sampras and Agassi it's just been this gap for so long and and TFO seems to have the personality to embrace it because he's just so full of fun and excitement. He has a great personality and a great story. Um, you know how he how he started out playing and uh, just, it's just an, a super inspiration. I would think for young kids, I heard McEnroe say that 
maybe this will steer some kids away from other sports and push them into tennis just seeing him because he's so oh, fun God. to watch. Yeah, I mean, his Bradley Beal, NBA players are sitting yep, in the box. I saw that. <laughs> Michelle Obama sitting courtside, pretty impressive. Um, and then Carlos Alcaraz, who won the tournament yesterday, I just I, I saw let's say I think five of his matches during this tournament. Just ex- I love watching him play. You have to. Mm-hmm. He just seems like he loves it so much, and I mean, he was down what he was down a match point, I think, to center, um, and. Marin Cilic was an amazing match and a great win. And I'm just amazed he had stuff left in the tank for, I know he's young, but still, I mean, to play four grueling matches in a row like that, um, he just seems kind of like an Nadal. He just competes for every single point, And he seems like he just genuinely loves being out there too. And oh my God, the future. I mean, I think he's one in the world now. So yeah. And I, I think the, the difference between the Nadal at his age, more powerful ground strokes, which is hard to imagine considering how strong his ground strokes, but, but to see Alcaraz go to the net, play the net, play all these courts, I think he plays smarter than, than, than all the sort of overpowered players when he was in it. Now he's much smarter, great net game, everything. But it, Alcaraz seems to have that all-court game, which is just great to watch. It. I cannot believe how young he is and how well he plays. Yeah, I mean, just because obviously that's, that's the, like, the age of my f- freshman on the team. <laughs> so it's just it it's mind blowing like at a, how he was winning slam how he could win a grand slam at, as a teenager especially with a modern game like I, mean, I think it's crazy really it really is so I mean good for him I think he's going to be around a long time. So a lot of people describe this U.S. Open which had set all time attendance records and everything as as like sort of a changing of a guard there was no joke of like this tournament because he wasn't allowed to come in for the vaccination status the doll loses a TFO Federer still recovering from his injury and for three people that dominate the game for 20 years, there is this change. What about these young players, especially the men, including Alcaraz, then TFO, uh, that are, that are you know, the, the future of tennis, I guess, per se? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that era will never be replicated. I mean, I think, you know, 60-something grand slams between those three, and I think it was only a matter of time. I do think, I mean, Djokovic, I think, definitely has more in him. Um, Nadal, I, I obviously is definitely getting up there and Federer, I think may try to make one more run, but I think it is time for the next generation. Um, and like you said, Sinner very much in there. And there's some other really talented young guys too, TFO. So I think it's kind of, I think it's good for the game. I mean, I think it's like a, it's, it's been a long, but basically these guys, other guys, almost a 20 year run, you know? So I think it's time. You know, it, this U.S. Open touched more people. There are sports fans that I know that don't really watch tennis that say, oh, I watched the TFO match or I watched the Alcaraz match. Yep. Like, I cannot believe how this, the crossover event, and it just, it was, I just think this U.S. Open had a big impact in tennis, and I just wish they could double it up with more tournaments. Like, the point is now we're not going to have tennis to what the Australian Open. We have to watch tournaments until 3 in the morning. It just appears that oh, I just wish more tournaments in America, more chances for people to watch these players that are at a normal time to watch. It, it would seem like it would be great, but uh, I, I, this really has invigorated these last two weeks the tennis in America. It did seem way more electric than past years, and I completely agree with you where – Australian Open is on kind of at odd times. Then you have to wait till basically June for the French and July for Wimbledon, and then we're back at it again. So it'd be nice to keep this momentum, even for like a TFO. I'm kind of curious now how he handles this um, with this little drought coming up before. I mean, obviously another hardcore tournament. And if they let Djokovic play would be interesting. So that's the next one here. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing is that besides TFO, uh, what, you know, if Taylor Fritz, we talk about these young Americans, and everyone's on my radio show knows I talk about the Americans all the time. But it's just like, I thought Fritz was, you know, when you saw Fritz at Wimbledon, and you're like, okay, he's going to be the next one, he's going to be great. And then TFO comes in with this thing, you, you just maybe hope that another, you know, some other Americans, remember there was Sampras and Agassi, uh, there was Macro and Connors, you know, hopefully there's maybe another American that could, could rise with TFO to challenge the Alcarazes and the sinners of the world. Yeah, that'd be nice. I mean, Tia, uh, Fritz made a good run in Wimbledon. Um, I think quarters lost to Nadal, but you know, you have a lot of other guys that kind of around like the top twenty-five or the top fifty. But it's just a case that they can like really break through. Where I think Isner's on his way out, Query's on his way out, retired. So I think this is the next generation here for sure. But, but hopefully, hopefully TFO can stay there. All right, well, Bobby. I know you're busy with Colgate tennis, as I said. You're uh, what's what's this year? How's your team look for this year? I have to be remiss if I didn't ask about your own. Yeah, no, team's looking good. We have some uh, talented women's team. We have, um, you know, a lot of depth there. And the men, the men just played a really competitive Invitational at Villanova this past weekend and did well. Um, so we'll see. Patriot League is getting better every year. So we'll 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 see where we fare. And also, I was during the tournament. You keep hearing now that the players are going to college. You're getting a lot of these pro players that are playing a year or two in college before turning pro. So that's that's great for you and great for the sport. Very exciting, and I've noted that. Um, I think that Cameron Nori played for TCU. He's like top five now in the world. So that's that can only help us. That's great. For sure. That's great. Well, Bobby, thanks a lot for coming on Ira Sports. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ira. Appreciate having Bobby Pennington here on the program. So, Ira, we've only got a couple of minutes here. We're going to have to kind of fly through college football. But, you know, I, I was very busy Saturday um, morning and afternoon, and my phone started to go absolutely nuts. Like, you got to turn on this Alabama-Texas game. And it came down to the wire. Alabama pulled it out. But, man, that was an exciting finish. Uh, just, I mean, what a game. And, I, I again, they they were came down at the end of the game. Alabama really did nothing on offense the entire game. It was 10-10 at halftime. Alabama had 11 penalties. A Texas quarterback was injured at the beginning of the game. Couldn't play. They bring another quarterback. He, he got hurt. Uh, but then Bama, you know, they came down. They stopped Texas. Bama was stopped on fourth and one of their own 25. Texas kicked the field goal, and Bama came down and kicked the field goal to win the game. Uh, tremendous win for them in terms of they had to win. You know, and people say, oh, well, they were 20-point favorite. But, look, they played in front of 105,000 fans in Texas. This is, I think it's a good win. When, when Texas this year is going to be a better, people are going to forget that they were a 20-point underdog when they have, like, one or two losses with 11-1. It's going to be a big win for Alabama, as opposed to, the other teams we're going to talk to in a second about right now. Yeah, crazy upsets and finishes in the NFL, but college had its fair share as well. And does anyone like playing spoiler more than App State, Ira? In 2007, they beat number 5 Michigan 34-32. Then they lost in 2016 and 18 to Tennessee in overtime and Penn State in overtime. That's that game. But... They beat Texas A&M. Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher makes uh, $10 million a year. I think the entire budget for Appalachian State for all their sports is like $10 million. Jimbo Fisher, the number one recruiting class. Their NIL money for their team is, is more than the Appalachian State. But I mean, I can't give stats after stats after stats about this, but Appalachian State, just uh, crazy. They won. But not only did they win the game, they outgained them 305 yards to 186. They did 22 first downs and nine first downs. They dominated the time of possession, 42 to 18. For someone, Jimbo Fisher's too worried about what 
Nick Saban is doing. I mean, Jimbo Fisher should be worrying about what Texas A&M is doing because that just cost them their chance for the national championship. There is no way Texas A&M, which is one of the favorites to go for, they were number six in the country, they could win the national championship. One of the favorites, in, I think one of the third or fourth in the country, there's no way they're going to win. They lose to Appalachian State at home for the first game of the year. It's over. They can't even be in the playoffs. And then, go ahead with the next game. I was going to say, spe- speaking of over, you know, Notre Dame is another team that has playoff aspirations every year, and they're 0-2 now, and they can kiss that goodbye. Number, they started the year fourth in the country, maybe overrated. But it's one thing to go to Ohio State. I give them credit for that win. But then to have Marshall come in. Now, these are all from the Sun Belt East Division, which, you know, is, is <laughs> Appalachian State Marshall. And the next thing we're going to talk about, I mean, it was a tight game, but Stephen Gilmore, the brother of Stephen Gilmore, had a pick six. Um, but now that Marshall had a, I mean, uh, Notre Dame had a record of 42 straight wins against unranked teams. That was broken. And the coach for Marshall is, uh, is Appalachian, is, is Charlie Huff. He's from Penn State, from Bama. That's what I like about some of these teams, like Appalachian State's coach with Sean Clark. You have these coaches that aren't these big names or whatever, but they're good coaches. And to pull off that upset, 26-21. And again, Notre Dame, 18-point favorites. Texas A&M, 18-point favorites pulling up these huge upsets. I mean, it's usually this week should have been a nothing game. I mean, I walk out, I'm like, what? How is that? I couldn't even believe these scores. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, Nebraska we have as a more than three touchdown favorite dropping one to, as you said, another Sunbelt team, Georgia Southern. So they lose to Clay Helton, who was fired from USC. Georgia Southern beats Nebraska. Um, Nebraska's record, when they scored 35 points at home, was 214-0. and zero. 214-0, when now it's 214-1. They gave up 642 yards to Georgia Southern, which is the most ever. This is a basket team that's played, like Oklahoma. I mean, it's unbelievable. Scott Frost was fired. So he's 16-31 and 31 in four years, 5-22 and 22 in one-score games. If they would have waited three weeks to fire him, his payout would have been $7.5 million. They fired him now for 15. They literally paid, they fired him another extra $7.5 million dollars. Uh, just unbelievable, and to think what happened with Frost when he, he was at 2017 at Central Florida, 13 and 0, just a disaster. And remember, they paid Nebraska paid Georgia Southern 1.5 million to play. Appalachian Texas A&M paid Appalachian State 1.5 million. Notre Dame, I don't know, I think Marshall got like 1 million. I mean, they're paying these teams to come for easy wins, and they're they're losing. Just terrible. And then I'll just jump real fast to the other one. Wisconsin was an 18-point favorite over Washington State, and they were one of the top what, what, 15 in the country. They end up losing their game. So absolutely crazy with these four double-digit you know, digit upsets. But mostly it's a Texas A&M, Notre Dame, and Nebraska to lose to the three Sun Belt teams. That was the story of the day. So what else uh, happened in college football as we round it out? I, I just like, look, I've been saying this. USC is going to be in the playoffs. Uh, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison. Uh, this was the free agent. Uh, Lincoln Riley came to USC. He replaced the entire team. Um, they, are, they look great. They, they, they destroyed Stanford. Um, and uh, I just love how a coach can walk in and like, oh, I need years to build. you got to get four years. USC, Lincoln Riley, in one year, he's like, I'm taking my quarterback from Oklahoma. The best wide receiver in the country is from Pitt. He can come to. I got all my linemen from different places. That's how they handle it. I stayed up late and watched BYU beat Baylor on Saturday night, which was super exciting because everyone BYU dressed in blue and they came on the field. And the BYU kicker <laughs> missed so many field goals. He's like McPherson, and they still won the game. Florida, uh, you know, after that big, big, big win over Utah, yeah. Kentucky comes in, and Anthony Richardson was 14 for 35, 143 yards, played terrible, and was outplayed by Will Levis. So Kentucky, big win over Florida. And uh, another win for the SEC. I know you like Tennessee. Tennessee going to Pitt. And after Pitt had their big win against West Virginia, they lose to Tennessee. So uh, next week, I'm going to be Penn State 
at Auburn. I cannot wait for the game in Alabama. Never been there. So excited for that game. That's a big game next week. Miami's going to be at Texas A&M. We'll see what happens in that game. Uh, and uh, those are like the two big games next week. So real quick, Major League Baseball, some pretty sweeping changes, Ira. I basically don't agree with any of them, but what's happening? Well, we're gonna next week. We'll focus more on the baseball changes. I just want to say you're not gonna recognize baseball. There's no shifting, but not only no shifting for next year. You can't even have like the shortstop behind the second base. Like it's only two infielders on both sides. It, a 15 second pitch clock with no one on base. 20 second, which it's gonna be a big difference. Games will go up. They did in minor leagues. Games uh, were much faster. You can't pick off. Only throw two pickoff throws, and the bases are gonna be big. Supposedly in the minor leagues and in, in, in the early, you know, in the early minor leagues and the single A and the double A, uh, stolen bases increased tremendously by doing that because you have the bigger bases, easier to steal bases. You can't throw a pickoff. So they want baseball's goal is to have more people on bases, more people hitting singles, no shifts. But oh wow, I can't. I want to bring a baseball person on to talk about this. And also the no shifting helps the left-handed batters. Supposedly in the minor leagues, that left-handed batters' averages went up like 15 points. Just, it's crazy, but the shift, no shifting, but not even letting the fielders move is going to be a big change for next year. Not this year, next year. So it'll be exciting. So let's uh, wrap it up with a little racing. Um, well, it's wrapped it up. As, Matthew Verstappen is totally, I mean, it's like a joke. He was in, uh, won this Italian Grand Prix. Uh, Leclerc was second. Uh, um, Russell, Seitz, and Hamilton. Uh, there was, he's so far ahead of everybody. He's, he's just, he's dominating. He, he, next week, there's going to be six races left. If he just wins next week, I think he then, he, he doesn't have to run the rest of the year and he'll win. So this is all, last year came down the final lap. This is going to be over now. The funny thing is this guy, Nick DeRisi from Williams, from Williams, uh, Latifi got injured or sick and couldn't go in his car. Williams every week is like the worst car. He takes the car and finishes ninth, which is pretty cool. And Bubba Wallace won the Kansas race for NASCAR, which is second win. So big win for Bubba Wallace. But, uh, um, but uh, that was uh, pretty, that was a big week in sports, getting the NFL back. Ira, so you said you're going to Penn State, Auburn. Never been there before. I'm excited for you for that. Any uh, plans for an NFL game maybe on Sunday or anything this week? It's hard. The Penn State Auburn games at three thirty. I'm going to be in Atlanta. It's going to be hard. I, you know, there's nothing. I would go to Atlanta Falcon game. There's maybe a San, you know. There's nothing. It's it's difficult to work that out. Um, but I can't wait to go down. I mean, Auburn came to Penn State last year, as you know. That's the most exciting games of the year. Penn State going down to Auburn. I've, I've been to Alabama. I've never been to the Texas Uh I can't wait for this game. I think it's going to be phenomenal. I love college football. Love that environment. I've been to a bunch of in the Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama. A lot of southern. A lot of teams in the SEC. So I can't wait to go to the Auburn. See that whole everything that goes on with those games. Don't forget follow along with Ira anywhere online, all across social media at Ira on Sports. Thank you so much for Bobby Penning to come on. He's Ira on Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.